mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hi, and welcome to our bonus episode of my interview with Jill Mansell, the author of Millie's Fling. If you haven't listened to my chat with Ella Risbridger about the book, maybe go back and listen now for the full experience. Here's my full conversation with Jill in which we discuss snobbery, twiglets, and why bad things happen to good people. You've written, like, so many books, and I think Millie's Fling is probably somewhere in the middle, right? Like... It's towards the beginning, I think. Oh, is it? Okay. It's probably my 11th. I'm just looking at the um, names. Yeah, not sure. I can't anyway. believe that your 11th book is somewhere near the beginning. <laughs> I know. It's bizarre, isn't it? And somebody was saying, what was it, not so long ago? She said, oh, I started reading your books when I was sort of a teenager at school, and now I'm a grandma. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, I feel 5,000 years old. <laughs> well, one of the things we were actually talking about, um, because Ella, um, I, I have to confess, I, um, Minnie Spling is the first one of your books that I've read, but Ella's been reading your books since she was eight years old. And, <laughs> <laughs> and um, she says everything, everything she knows about wine, food, cooking, everything is based on what the women in Jill Mansell books were buying. So the only reason that she buys Montepulciano every time she goes to Sainsbury's is because of your books. Yes. Oh, I think she told me that a couple of years back. That's so funny. And Frascati as well. I used to really love Frascati as well. And loads of people wrote to me and said, oh, we always buy Frascati because of you. I love that. It's like Jilly Cooper with her perfume. What was that perfume that Jilly Cooper always used to write about? Fracas? (laughs) <laughs> I no, love that. Um, um, I, I've actually realised while doing this podcast that um, a lot of uh, chiclet writers, they tend to have their own area of food and snacking because snacking and food is very important in most chiclet books. Yes. And Marion Keys tends to be more about chocolate, but you're more about crisps. Yes, <laughs> yes, I, I, I eat very little chocolate, actually. <laughs> I, I'd love to know um, a bit about, I mean, I'm going way off the mark here, but I'd love to know about... Um, at what point food became such a big part of your books? I suppose the food thing is um, because I'm sitting here on my sofa writing all day, um, I'm just mainly thinking, what can I eat next? <laughs> all the time. I think Nigella once said, you know, she wakes up in the morning and she thinks, what can I eat next? And as soon as she's had that, she thinks, right, what? what next you know what's the next meal I can have and I, I think I'm a bit like that I don't understand people who aren't like that I know I, I, it's kind of like you know how people say um I don't trust a, a skinny chef I don't trust a skinny author mm, yes yeah, so I, I used to be skinny well no um, the reason I don't have chocolate very much is um I had this big operation when I was 21 my stomach was removed and um, I know so so chocolate is I love it to bits but I can only have a very small amount of chocolate after I've eaten a big meal so um, it's all a bit complicated but crisps are great and they're very 
easy for me to eat. <laughs> I, I, I bet you I, there's a whole bit in um, in Millie's fling where the, the two girls, Hester and uh, Millie, are just talking about twiglets versus chipsticks. And I can just imagine you the with the festive tub of, of twiglets just get, on deadline, just getting it done, you know? <laughs> oh, no, twiglets every time. Oh, I don't even like chipsticks. <laughs> well, that's very, yeah, very evident, very evident from the pros. <laughs> oh, is it? <laughs> um, so I'm, I probably, I kind of started way in the middle there just because we started talking about food. But I'd love to, I, I really that you've written so many books and um, and Millie's Fling it, it must feel like a long time ago but uh, I'd love to know what your kind of memories are writing the book like what wh- like yeah. what period of time it was what was going on like what, tell me a bit about that okay well I, I mean there's a couple people always ask where the ideas come from and I can remember very clearly the ideas for this one um, our children were very small we were on um holiday in a fairly grim caravan park in Cornwall and um, still quite poor then I think <laughs> <laughs> and um, and somebody had left uh, a copy of the news of the world on a bench or something so I picked it up and there was a piece in there about a woman who'd met the love of her life because he dropped his wallet and she'd gone through the wallet and thought oh I know quite a lot about him so she phoned him up as a joke and pretended that she knew him. So I stole that idea for the book. Yeah. And uh, But obviously gave it the twist that she's talking jokingly about his lovely wife or girlfriend. And then it turns out, you know, he's the tragic widower. So that was one of the starting off ideas. And the other one was um, poor Jilly Cooper. Do you know the um, the journalist and author Craig Brown? I don't. No, uh, I think he used to write for the Times or the Telegraph. Anyway, he gave her one of her books the most awful review, and it was really, really terrible, criticizing her and her books, everything about her. It was a famously awful review. So then I, I sort of stole that idea for poor Orla, and and had her fall in love with the guy at the end. Which um, Julie Cooper didn't do that, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I I wouldn't call Julie Cooper incapable of doing that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, I have so much I want to ask about Orla. I think she was my favorite part of the book, and I imagine most writers probably say that to you. Um, the- she was brilliant, wasn't she? Do you know what I think? I'm tur- I'm I'm turning into her because really? when I wrote the book, I wasn't a bit like her, and I think. Since then, I have sort of become more like her. Um, Clothes-wise, I mean, does she wear sort of long, flowy clothes she a lot? Lots of purples, lots of like stuff that you think I find in Monsoon. You know that shop? Yeah, yeah. But that's me now. But it never <laughs> used to be me. That's fascinating. So, um, uh, when um, when you were writing Orla, what was your like perception of her then? Gosh, she was like an archetypal. Oh, what's the word? I can't even think of the word. But a real sort of character of a successful female novelist. Mm. And the other thing was that I think I described the way she planned out her books was sticking all these details up around her walls and things. And I never did anything like that. And since then, or years afterwards, I started making my timelines and um, sticking millions of post-it notes onto great swathes of paper so I, when I wrote that, it was like the last thing I would ever do to plan out a book. That's so but funny. No, That's like but um, now I do it. It's, it's a bit when you know when you um you're feeling a bit depressed, so you write a to do list of things that you've already done that day, so you can cross them off and have the satisfaction. 
Brush teeth. <laughs> yeah, brush teeth. Put uh, socks on. <laughs> I, I don't know if um, Ella's already told you this, but um, that is how she has planned her books based on Orla Hart's method because she read that as a, as a teenager and said, oh, that must be how you do it. That must be how Jill's doing it because I think I she think, read... I think she did tell me that, yes. See, now I can't even remember the things that Ella said to me. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I think she did say that. And, and I feel as if I've sort of belatedly grown into those methods but i honestly at the time it was nothing like the way that i wrote but um all of orla's segments in the book um when she's not like you know being the sort of um director of the plot for millie as it were and when she's not sort of doing her kind of uh setting her up on dates and stuff um Mm -hmm. i see her very much as um not a cipher for you because you're clearly very different and you write very different books to her and she is much more of a Jackie Collins, Julie Cooper type of novelist whereas you you aren't. But what I felt, I felt like it was you kind of looking to the reader and being like, these books, um, like books that are chick like books that are for women that people sneer at and, and tell you that they're um, trash or that they're easy or that they're formulaic. They are difficult to write. They are difficult to plan and, you know, think twice oh. before you second guess this genre absolutely absolutely and i'm told those things not not daily but nearly daily because people just do sneer at the kind of books and the reviews well on amazon i suppose the people who write some of the reviews on amazon i don't think they ever think that the authors look at them mm-hmm. i look at all my reviews and what drives me more nuts than anything is when they say, oh, within a cu- the first couple of chapters, I'd worked out who was going to end up with who at the end. Ugh. And I just think... Well, congratulations. <laughs> you know, uh, do you really think that that wasn't supposed to be obvious? Um, so, yes, people... Oh, no, people tell me, oh, those kind of books, you write those, do you? And um, <laughs> I don't let it really bother me anymore because I've had it for so long. Um, obviously, I, I, it bothers me a tiny bit. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, but that—that that is, you know, one of the reasons that I'm doing this podcast and why I've called it sentimental garbage. Because um, my my first book came out this year, and I heard it being described. I, I saw it in an Amazon review being described as something like that, or using kind of pejorative like that, a kind of a stand-in for like, oh, chiclet is all garbage, is all sentimental, whatever. And um, I just feel like it's kind of time to reclaim that, especially as I feel. People now, they're kind of going towards that more domestic noir, Gillian Flynn. Like that seems to be the direction things are going in. It's like, oh, everyone's a horrible person and everyone's backstabbing each other and everyone's dead at the end, you know? Absolutely, yes. And I I know an awful lot of people are embarrassed to be seen reading my books in public. Um, That's fine. It just means I sell more on Kindle. (laughs) (laughs) And like, at what point did that stop pissing you off? Is it when you just sold enough copies that you were like, you know what, I'm laughing my way to the bank? Kind of, I think so, yes. I mean, obviously, to begin with, well, to begin with, um, there was no Amazon, yeah. of course. So I didn't see anything like that. And I didn't tend to get letters from people saying th- bad things about my books. You'd, you'd get fan mail back then, and, and it was always nice. Um, so it wasn't until Amazon came along and we were able to sort of see other people saying things although I was aware obviously at the time that other people said oh you write what kind of books do you write oh really oh don't you ever fancy writing you know a real book oh god no it's it's 
the extent to which I'm bothered by it has slid down over the years. But uh, and did you ever have a problem with the with the term chiclet? I think some authors do. Um, the only reason I don't love it is because it's it's a you know I know that it's a handy thing for other people to use to describe a certain genre of book, but with my books, it's not just about girls in their twenties who work in an office and they get drunk on a Friday night and buy nice clothes in Topshop or wherever. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I have the old characters and the younger characters and the middle-aged characters. And, you know, I I just sort of have a lot of issues in the books and serious segments. Um, So it is, like you say, it's pejorative. It's just not, it's not a true description of the books. Not just my books, most chicklet writers, they, they deal with other serious issues as well. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I, I think um, Ella actually said this in the main episode, but she said like everybody tells you that chiclet is, is simple or formulaic, but actually none of the none of the books I've read for this series or have read in the past, like could I really describe as simple beyond the sort of sense of like, oh yes, I can see who the romantic lead is from the beginning. Of course I can. Of course they're gonna yes. end up together. But actually all the plot that happens, for example, in Middle in, in Millie's Fling, what, what it's a it's obviously it's a book that centers on Millie, but it's a book about a community of people sort of living their lives and we sort of drop in on all of them. And it's, you know, you could compare it to Middlemarch if you wanted to, do you know? It's like, it's, it's a, re- you really get a sense. I feel, I've never been to Nuki and I feel like I know it like the back of my hand now, you know? <laughs> I think it's changed a lot. It, <laughs> yeah. it, um, I have been to Nuki, but um, I don't know if I, um, if I'd been there before I wrote it. <laughs> but I just think that like, I got such a strong sense of even the economy of the town. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. Like, and I think that's another thing I really, really loved about your books as well. Because you often get in Chiclet and in commercial women's fiction in general, um, is that like either the um, characters have very aspirational jobs or lives or they're mm-hmm. they're desperately aiming to be actresses or journalists or whatever. But actually, what I loved about this was that, um, you know, Millie works in a travel agent and she liked working in travel apart from her crappy bosses obviously but she yeah. really enjoyed her small job and she really enjoyed yes. and like Hester really enjoys like working at the jewellery stand and it's only when Orla comes in and says to her like oh I want to write about people with um kind of normal jobs and cheap shoes mm. you know that's the only minute where Millie was even challenged to think about her life as anything less than ideal and I love that yes well I'm, I'm sort of um 
two reasons I do that. I, I think I like for the characters to do jobs that appeal to a lot of readers and a, a lot of readers don't want to read about people with very, very aspirational careers. And also that involves more research. <laughs> but it's very, diffi- it's very difficult to get uh, the research right uh, if a job is, is something that isn't widely known about. And, and because I worked in clinical neurophysiology, I, you know, I've read lots of books in the past where clinical neurophysiology is a part of it. And it's, it's just cringy seeing mm-hmm. the mistakes that are made by people who, you know, they, they've done a lot of research and think they've got it right, but they haven't. That's I, I didn't know about this previous career. Can, can you tell me a little bit more about that? That's really interesting. Oh, yes, I worked as a um, um, clinical neurophysiology technician. Um, I don't really know what that means. Well, no. what, what, what is it? What, I'm sorry, that probably sounds really ignorant, but I don't... Well, you know ECGs measure the electricity in the heart? Yeah. And EEG measures the electricity in the brain. It's electroencephalography. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that was one of the aspects of the work. It's neurophysiology... Um, anybody with anything to do with the brain, people either used to come to us if they were able to, or we would travel around to different hospitals and intensive care units, cardiac care units, um, baby units in the hospitals in, in, in this area, and we'd carry out the tests to see what was wrong with their brains. Wow. And, and so how long did you do this before you were a full-time novelist? 18 years. <laughs> and then when did you go, when did you become Jill Mansell, women's fiction novelist? Um, so I was, I was there for 18 years. I mean, I went there from 16. I got the job when I was 16. I'd started A-levels. My mum thought I wasn't doing as much work as I should do for my A-levels. So she sort of found me this job in the local paper. It said, do you want to be an electroencephalographic technician in the field of clinical neurophysiology? So I, I went for it and I got the job and I trained there doing the job and I was there for 18 years. I think um, I, I wrote two books or possibly three books while I was there and and then I got pregnant with my daughter so I gave up work so that I could um, write books and have a quiet little baby at home sleeping all day Aww. long, which didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yes, that's the way it worked, and and luckily for me, it did work out because it's very difficult working in the hospital when you need childcare, because yeah. it's when it's a job like that, there's a certain amount of work that needs doing, plus the emergency calls that come in each day. So um, it was it just seemed easier to give up. Well, and a writer then, yeah, and and we're all very glad for it to be honest. <laughs> Um, well, it, did, it wasn't all smooth sailing. Um, it sounds was, very smooth sailing. <laughs> well, no, but I was, my sales dropped week, um, year on year for the first six books. And, uh, and then I was dropped by Transworld. Oh. I was with Transworld to begin with. They tried their best. They were lovely. I loved them. But the books just didn't take off. And, uh, and I was dropped. And then I was rejected by a few other publishers. And, uh, and then Headline took me on. They pulled me out of the gutter. <laughs> oh my goodness! So, so had you kind of almost like hung up your boots a bit? Nearly. I was. I was afraid that it was about to happen. Yes, and um, 
I think it was, you know, that st- I don't know, you're so young, that's the trouble. Um, the style of book covers, say, 20 years ago, with all the legs on the covers. Yes, girls with yes. long legs. So I think um, Headline, they sort of did that right from the beginning. And with Perfect Timing was my first book with them. And the covers seemed to take off and and the books sold more after that. That's so funny because um, in the main episode, Ella talked about those those leg leg and chew covers, yeah. and th- and those are the covers that she had. And uh, yes. uh, yeah, and uh, she she has a really really strong fondness for those ones. Um, <laughs> wh- why why we're on the sort of uh, the general book industry, I would love to talk to you a bit, and I'm sure you don't remember much about him because you wrote him so long ago. But Christy Carson, I am obsessed with. <laughs> Oh, are you? Well, he's the baddie man, isn't he? I know. But the thing is, is that um, I don't know, maybe you were aiming some kind of criticism at something, but my experience as a Irish novelist who is um, writing books that are primarily read by English people is that I always get the sense that people want me to be a kind of an Irish novelist who writes beautifully simplistic things about living in the countryside and, you know, priests molesting people and uh, and, and, and all very, uh, uh, like, you know, jolly but true but barren but sorrowful but, you know, a, that specific kind of Irish writer that the English press loves. Uh-huh. And Christy Carson is the most brilliant parody of that entire kind of industry that I have ever read. And oh, that's fantastic. I, <laughs> I can't remember a thing about it. <laughs> I really urge you to go back over it because the way Orla sort of talks, she's sort of, she's reading it and she's like, yeah, it's good, I suppose, in that Irish way. And she kind of describes that sort of like typically Irish novel and I was like oh this is such a good send-up of this entire genre (laughs) and no other author would be brave enough to take the piss out of this you know (laughs) oh no I wish I could remember it I can't bear to reread my books you never do no well I sort of have to because my American publisher is publishing them for the first time in the States um, and they're going back over the really oldest ones. Fast Friends is my very first book, oh, and it's right. coming out in January in the states. Oh my goodness! And oh my goodness, some of it, some of it is so um, dated. I mean, it seems so dated to me. But so many people write to tell me that that's my fa- their favorite book of mine. I think, I think Ella talked to me over this. It was um, the one where the, the friends uh, meet up from school and one of them is having an affair with the other one's yes. husband. Yes. Yes. I think that's her favourite as well. But she wanted is to it? she wanted to do Millie's Fling because um, she knew I'd love Christy Carson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, it's so strange. So I do have to sort of slightly skim through um, and check and make everything American mm. uh, that needs to be American but I, I yeah, I really don't enjoy reading my own books I suppose because I just it's like watching yourself on TV you just think oh why did I look like that why did I say that you know I don't like not being able to go back and correct it <laughs> <laughs> well yeah my, my one only um came out in June and I already am totally embarrassed by it. And, and I'm still in that kind of thing where I'm doing readings at bookshops and stuff. And every time I'm like, oh, God, what a horrible book, you know. I, I can't even bear to do readings. I just say, oh, no, let's not do that. Awful. <laughs> let's don't and say we did. <laughs> so I would be really interested to know, because I, um, I know that your books these days, they tend to focus on somewhat more serious subject matter in that there tends to be like 
a lot of long-term illness in them and that kind of thing. And I was wondering, like, if your perspective has changed a bit as a writer. I think over years... Well, I think I've... I don't know, is it always long-term illness? Sometimes it is. Um, it's, it's a lot to do with trying to think of something new and interesting to form the basis for a book. Um, obviously, I'm always interested in that kind of thing and obviously working in the hospital for mm. 18 years. It was a neurological um, rehabilitation hospital. So I, I've always known a lot about that kind of mm. thing and I'm, and I'm interested in it. I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in how people deal with illness. We used to have um, a very unscientific thing that we'd call the patient in from the waiting room for their very first test that they're having and we've seen their symptoms and it could be something or it could be nothing and we always seemed that the nicer the person the more likely it was to be something awful oh my god and and it really we all we all said that oh she's a really nice person oh dear that's bad news and and it just always does seem to be that way it's not always obviously but um Wow. But I, I am interested in how people deal with um, illness and awful things happening in their lives. God, if I ever have any kind of a scare, I'm just going to be horrible to every one of those. But <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs> just awful. Jill, I meant to have you on the phone for 20 minutes and I've had you on for half an hour. Um, thank you so much for giving me the time with this. And I, I really can't oh, wait until the whole thing is out and you can hear us praising your book so oh, much. I can't, I can't wait to hear it. It sounds like it's going to be fantastic. And it's long overdue, isn't it? It's so lovely to have you know, somebody talking nicely about our genre of books. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's the idea. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Lovely to talk to you. Thanks to Jill for talking to me and thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Sentimental Garbage where I chat to Helena Hara about Career Girls by Louise Mensch. This has been Sentimental Garbage and I've been Caroline O'Donoghue. You can follow me on Twitter at Zaraline, that's C-Z-A-R-O-L-I-N-E or email me about the podcast at ZaralineO'Donoghue at gmail.com. Thanks to Harry Harris for the jingle, Gavin Day for the logo and Acast for the recording space. This has been a Justice for Dumb Women podcast produced by Hannah Barrell. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com